and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, very welcome to have back to the podcast, Film Inquiry Editor-in-Chief, Christy Strauss. Uh, Christy, how, how are you doing on this very chilly winter <laughs> Saturday? Cold. No, I'm doing well. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, Christy... This week, I kind of wanted to take a step back to talk about the Sundance Film Festival, which happened a couple weeks ago, and you did some Sundance coverage for the site, um, and I really wanted to kind of talk to you about some of the your favorite movies that you saw there, as well as kind of like what the experience of the festival was this year, because, you know, normally Sundance, which is one of the sort of signature movie festivals here in the united states is held in person and this year due to the coronavirus pandemic it was all digital and that's not totally new to the the film world i mean festivals like toronto and the new york film festival um and a couple others did virtual lineups last fall um but i just want was curious kind of like in a general sense what was your sort of experience doing a virtual festival as opposed to kind of like an in-person festival, which I think a lot of us are more used to? Yeah, definitely more used to an in-person festival. Um, actually, the last in-person festival I went to was Sundance last year. Um, and it's a very, very different experience. Actually, the last movie I saw in theaters was in Sundance last year. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So this is definitely kind of a kind of a shock to the system. But yeah, it's it's interesting because it's, I did it, I, you know, just was too busy, unfortunately, with two jobs to watch more than the movies I watched, though I watched 12, but I watched from Friday to Sunday. So it's a, it was a really interesting experience to just like watch back to back movies, trying to get all that in as much as possible, but also just streaming it from my computer. It was, it was very odd um, because I really miss like so much of what su makes Sundance so amazing is the environment and the, and just the atmosphere of being there. Um, around other people obviously we all miss that but um, just being having that social element being able to go to an actual theater being able to do interviews and red carpets just the whole thing is just one of my favorite honestly just you know um, going to festivals in general is something that's like one of my favorite things to do so it was definitely a shock <laughs> but it was still great I've greatly missed the the festival experience in the last year as well. And, you know, there's, there's usually at least like one fall festival. I've never been to a Sundance, but there's usually at least like one fall festival that I go to and did a couple of the like New York Film Festival screenings last fall. And it, it you know, I guess <laughs> obviously considering the the pandemic going on, like it's it's great to be able to view some of these titles and the, the comfort and safety of our homes and, you know, I, some of the other pluses to doing a, a, a all digital festival is not having to deal with the mania, as I'm sure you're familiar with, of like when you go to a film festival and like I, I always feel like I'm so like hectically like I have like oh, a yeah. giant spreadsheet and I'm like filling out of like, all right, do I have if I like leave? And as soon as the credits start, can I make it to this next screening that will be like down the street or something like that? Oh, absolutely. And and, and so it's it's kind of nice to like maybe not have that kind of stress or the sort of like 
um you know the last in-person festival i went to i remember i was uh staying at a friend's house and on our like drive home he was just sort of like i haven't eaten today i've just been sort of going into screening room after screening room and just like the the frantic pace um kind of you you sometimes just forget to to eat or grab a slice of pizza or something like that um but i i i have greatly missed as i it sounds like you have the communal aspect of it and the ability to um you know not just talk with other critics who are at some of these screenings but also just kind of like regular people and able to gauge so many different kinds of opinions and being able to like straight up walk out of something and being like that's the greatest thing i've ever seen that like i'm going to twitter right now and i'm going to tell everyone and their mother that they need to see this or you know coming out of something and someone's like that's great and you're like that was a load of baloney and that was crap or something like that and to have kind of like a you know spirited debate over drinks before your next experience so i i I personally kind of have greatly missed that really fun aspect of the festival culture is just the the social aspect around everything yeah absolutely and it is a very hectic thing whenever i've gone to festivals i have to plan out like every second and then there's always things that come up that make it so you can't like you're five minutes late to something and it's like oh no i gotta go do something else now rearrange especially at sundance because the uh the bus schedule and it's kind of uh <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy but um i do also you know miss that like as as hectic as it was and yeah normally I didn't eat or sleep um very much during festivals but that was kind of you know the beauty of it but what's interesting and great about it being virtual is obviously it's able more people are able to attend Uh, I know that they mentioned that they had the highest numbers that makes plenty of sense Uh, we also were able to have a writer Rezondo that doesn't live in the United Mm -hmm. States attend which was you know amazing Uh, I love that opportunity was available to him and, yeah. you know, that's that's not always something that we had before. So there's benefits to it as well. You know, I only honestly, I only had like a couple technical issues where I had to like restart a movie or something. But otherwise, everything and, you know, also got to give like uh, credit to Sundance because, you know, this is obviously a very strange time and they made it work. And, you know, it, I'm sure it wasn't easy, uh, you know, having so many people on their site watching these movies and trying to you know, figure everything out. It's just a whole new world, but hopefully yeah, next that, year that it is, won't be. Yeah, and that is something like I've I've heard so many people who did a, a, a lot of coverage um, from a variety of different outlets, you know, just talk about kind of like a, a applause to the, the Sundance team for kind of like no easy task to kind of have a, you know, just to have like a CMS or like a web page that's not crashing <laughs> like that and to be able to just sort of like you're able to stream the movies in such good quality and you know i there were a couple screenings that that i saw and i when i was sort of um getting my stuff together was just sort of pleasantly surprised to see that they kind of had an ability to you know watch it on whatever streaming device that you had and it, it just felt very um very well planned in a way that was that made it like very seamless and a smooth process um which i know was kind of (laughs) i know a lot plenty of people who were nervous going back to like the summer when the fall festival stuff was kind of being announced of just like oh gosh is this 
like am i gonna like get a lag on my screening of nomadland or something like that and i i I think it's mostly worked out um for the best in these cases um random question just like do you have a favorite festival while we're just talking about like the festival experience in general one that is kind of like your favorite of all the ones now if i feel bad if i don't say sundance (laughs) since that's what this is about but um I, you know, honestly, okay. this is a safe space here. <laughs> um, I actually love Tribeca Film Festival, and it's mm. just a big part of it is because I just I love New York City, and I, I don't know, I've just it was um the first festival that really kind of I don't know. There's just something really homey for me. I'm also from um, Long Island, New York originally, so I don't know. There's just something about it that that sticks with me. But Sundance is also very very close uh, as one of my favorites because it's just the, it's such an experience. Like I, it's hard to describe, but um, there's so many different things to do there. And it's New York city. There is too, but it's also a lot more spread out. Whereas park city, it's like that becomes Sundance. Like everything is Sundance right? and and slam dance, which also happens to go on at the same time. Normally a smaller festival, which I might actually do some coverage for, but yeah, it's, it's, it kind of just like overtakes the town, you know, it's, it becomes Sundance and that's really cool. You don't get that very often. So should mention, I don't know if this is a movie that you were able to see. Um, I know Rosanda, who you mentioned, uh, who did some of uh, coverage for us, saw this. And uh, I saw a lot of other people tweeting, reacting to it. Kind of, the, it feels like the big talked about, or one of the big talked about movies out of Sundance of kind of like the main competition lineup was this movie Coda. And I have not seen it. Did you get a chance to see it when you were doing the screenings? Unfortunately not. We did try to spread out coverage with mm-hmm. me, Rizondo, and Wilson to cover different films. And there are definitely a lot that I wanted to see that I didn't get to. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see Coda. I was actually going to catch it over the weekend just for fun. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, it there's like a certain time frame that you can watch something and then it goes away. So unfortunately, I was outside of that window at that point. And actually, it's virtually sold out, which makes no sense to me. But, you know, it's okay. I'll catch yeah. it on Apple TV. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, the the reason I bring it up is, you know, this is maybe a, one of the, I think, more significant aspects of Sundance is it is a festival for discovery. Um, Absolutely. And it's, it's a festival where you have a lot of companies are coming in and trying to acquire whatever they feel is kind of the hot independent film at the festival and apple actually paid a record 25 million for this movie called coda that it it just sort of struck me as um you know that this is the sign of like where things are going of just like the the tech companies are just as much kind of like like that is the establishment now more so than even kind of the kind of big Hollywood studios that we imagine. And that's something that we I've talked about with a variety of different guests on this podcast of, as we've sort of moved through the pandemic and more stuff is going to streaming services. But the, the fact that Apple of all people was just able to kind of like, yeah, we're going to write a, this just giant check just to say, basically like we're here to play ball and buy this, um, what sounds like a very sweet kind of intimate independent film. And now that's going to be part of the Apple streaming service for the next year. Um, is there anything you maybe want to like elaborate about kind of like 
the business side to Sundance and some of the the narratives that can sometimes um, arise. I know one thing sometimes I hear from people is like, you, you got to sometimes take Sundance um, enthusiasm about something with a grain of salt because of the altitude. And it is funny sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, to, to hear of a movie that because everyone's looking to discover the next great thing at Sundance, some sometimes there are disparities in terms of like someone will be really enthusiastic about something out of Sundance and it'll get all this media coverage and then the rest of the world sees it and it's like really is, is that what we we're, we're all uh, you know enthused about and was going to be like the greatest the next great independent American movie so it, it it's an interesting dynamic that I was wondering if you wanted to kind of like elaborate a, a bit on is this sort of like hunger to find the next kind of lightning rod movie at this festival and the way that kind of sometimes gets snowballed into this like business competition aspect of the festival. Yeah. And, and definitely just to mention Apple TV, definitely, uh, you know, are like waving their hands, you know, definitely saying we're here. Um, we're making a statement with that purchase, but yeah, I don't know if it's the altitude, but you definitely do have uh, an enthusiasm during a film festival. And I think in general, the excitement, could potentially I, I suppose have an effect on how how much like you gush about the movie you liked maybe because in comparison to however many other movies you watch it ranked right. above it so just by that extension somehow it maybe gets more um, enthusiasm but there is definitely an element to that what you see because what we review and what we if we give something a positive or a negative um, really does make a difference sometimes on how they get distribution especially also how audiences receive it obviously but it's it's kind of it's like a little bit of pressure there and i don't know mm -hmm. if that also affects people so i i mean i can't speak to that but i it is interesting though when some of these movies i watched i would go because twitter was just like going crazy with constant right. uh, like just watch this watching this and i'm like oh me too and i i didn't have the same opinion as some people some people like love something some people really didn't like something that i thought wasn't that bad and so i guess that's just the uh, the beauty of film criticism and having different opinions but i think that is true though that sometimes that's that you know kind of show like huge uh film coming out of a film festival doesn't always resonate with the wider audience and i i don't know why that is maybe again maybe we have like uh goggles on or something when we're watching <laughs> we're just so happy to be here <laughs> type of thing that we're just like yay this is amazing and then i don't know because sometimes even on a second watch you have a different opinion on something so yeah, totally. And and I mean, the I, I, I always take it as like, you know, I've had that experience at a festival where like I, I saw something and just because of the the environment and the that kind of hunger I mentioned of like, oh, I'm I'm checking out this stuff and I, I can't wait to like tell people what they need to look out for. And I'm always someone that's like hype is a very powerful, but also can sometimes be dangerous thing of you know you can hype something up too much and then you know people go in expecting like the second coming and then they they fire it up and it's just like oh i guess that was pleasant but that wasn't everything that like jesse talked it up to be um so i that that is just sort of like a, a fun like anyone who's ever gone to a festival i know has at least one experience of of something like that of either not fully being on board the the hype that everyone else has or you yourself being part of the hype and then like 
that feels like a bubble in of itself when you sort of um, revisited it or the movie or like returned to the the outside world. But um, I was wondering if you could maybe like talk about some of the movies you saw at Sundance and some of the ones that really left an impression on you. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting because, and it's also difficult, and I'm sure you can agree as a critic sometimes, when you watch movies and you don't really have a powerful emotion, whether it be like love or dislike, I don't like to mm-hmm. use the H word, um, but if you, it, it can be really difficult, especially if, if it's like kind of just in the middle, and there were a there were a few of those this this time around and so it does make it harder to talk about but there were also some really amazing movies that stood out uh one was mass by um fran krantz who's an actor i'm I'm sure you know i don't know if you know who he is but he um cabin in the woods come on everyone oh yes 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 uh so he he made his uh feature debut and it's just such an emotional like powerful movie um it's it's a really kind of just intimate it it takes basically place in just one location and it's two parents and they're talking through um this tragedy one of them is a parent of a victim and the others are parents of the perpetrator that um, killed him so it's it's a really like you know obviously very um emotional film i think it just kind of like floored me so that was one of them i didn't expect that even though i saw similar reactions when i was watching it um because i watched it like an hour after it started so Mm -hmm. i saw some people like talking about it and so i was like oh i gotta prepare myself and i still wasn't prepared for that um but it's just like amazing performances it's just all around it's definitely one that i think is, is gonna have hype and i think it's worthy of it and i'm really excited to see what he does next and for for more people to see it because it's a it's a great film and it really also kind of you know reminds us again that about gun control and mental health and just there's just a lot going on there that's really worthy of a, a watch um so then like on a completely opposite scale on uh, note you know as far as like the kind of film but i really loved uh nicole beckwith's together together which was a, a very interesting kind of dramedy um ed helms was is the main character and he's probably my favorite performance by him um he is oh wow yeah it's is that is that like whoa. <laughs> i don't know i don't, I don't I, I can i can I, ed helms is like one of those people that i'd like it, i kind of have a category of performers where it's just sort of like i i don't have a take on them it's just sort of like if they pop up and something be like oh okay it's them like I don't, I don't really have like a read on ed helms or something i was just like oh interesting that you know mentioned like this is like the best ed helms has been in uh, a movie before well it's, it's a really because it's a really well-written well-performed film um he hires um I'm trying to think. yeah patty harrison who's amazing in this film as well um to be a surrogate because he wants a child and they they form this really interesting kind of friendship and bond and it's just uh it's a wonderful example of human connection and i i don't know it's just a and it's also very funny like and patty harrison's hilarious but their their relationship together is uh is their chemistry even though it's it is platonic is is really wonderful um so that's another one i'd recommend and see to really change note um eight for silver which is a sean ellis film it's uh a period werewolf piece so <laughs> don't, don't hear that every day <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's you know first of all i mean it's like 
it's just got a lot going on. I, I really loved it. I didn't expect to. It, it's the werewolf movie. I, we didn't know we needed, but we need it. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't want to like talk too much about the plot, but it has, I mean, a lot going for it. First of all, it's, it's really beautifully shot, but it's, it's also got like such random stuff like body horror. I mean, it's, it's, it's got like, uh, reminded me of like the thing, which is one of John Carpenter's the thing is one of my favorites. Uh, and there was just a lot going on. It's, you know, like somehow this like gothic gothic period film but then it's also diving into this mythology in a different way and it's got some you know great effects with that so that's another one and also i'll I'll say one more because i don't want to because there's there's quite a few i could recommend but i think those are the three that stood out for me also um zoe lister jones and uh daryl wine's how it ends was also a very sweet film uh funny um kind of poignant and Prisoners of the Ghostland on the complete opposite. The <laughs> Shion Soto movie was completely wild. Um, of I'm, course. I'm dying to hear about this as <laughs> as someone who is just like a, a guilty pleasure is just the like out of control Nicolas Cage movie of which we sound. It sounds like we're getting multiple of these this year because I guess there's one that came out recently where he fights demented yeah. Muppets and then Willie's Wonderland. Yes. Yeah. And then there's another one. I, I forget the, the headline of it, um, but it where he is basically playing himself and someone kidnaps him and forces mm-hmm. him to reenact all of the movies <laughs> that he's been in. Um, so just it, just what a, what a career this man's having right now. It's the time of Nicolas Cage. It's definitely, definitely true. And yeah, this is just... Um, of course, he's just absolutely uh, on level ten in this in t- throughout this entire film. And um, I also have to point out that Bill Mosley, who I interviewed, who was wonderful, very nice uh, guy for the film, he plays the villain, and um, you might know him as like Otis from um, Rob Zombie's uh, films. And anyway, so my point is, this is definitely one to check out if you like a guilty pleasure film. It's got a lot going for it. Uh, let's see nick right from the get-go nicholas cage is strapped in a suit that has explosives like all over um in- including on his balls can i say that yeah i just did so yeah go 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 for it <laughs> <laughs> um and uh it's just he has to like go rescue um bill mosley's uh like granddaughter and it's he's just goes it's a wild ride i don't i don't even know what else to say without just saying too much but it's it's a lot of fun and it's absolutely just kind of uh just batshit crazy at times but in a great way <laughs> and uh yeah i'm i i also got to throw out that i heard um that they're i guess it originally said it was a remake and now it's a, a sequel to face off um is that for- is that happening i kept seeing like you and like a couple other people tweeting about that and there was just so much going on in the the last week pedro pascal well, yeah. Oh, of course, the the Last of Us show, yes. which I have, I have not played that video game, but friends of mine who have are like jumping on their couches, excited that he's in that. And then uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday a uh, Donald Glover and uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge gonna be in a Mr. and Mrs. Smith TV series together yes. for Amazon, which is just like chef kiss emoji. Just that that sounds wonderful. I just want that. I want however many episodes of that right now to watch on my television. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it's a lot of exciting news, and I I did play The Last of Us. I love that game. Also, Borderlands is one of my favorite games, and that just got cast. Like the cast for that movie is just kind of amazing. Um, like Kate Blanchett, uh, 
Jack Black. I, I can't even remember. There's quite a few, but there was a lot of news in, in this weekend as far as uh, the last week as far as movies. But yeah, Face Off is being at first they said it remake and everyone was like, what? Which is why I was on Twitter saying we don't need that. Like you can't top John Travolta and Nicolas Cage and, and Face Off. Just don't even try. It's, um, you know, it's just it's too difficult. But Adam uh, Wingard was signed on to do it. And then I guess there was a maybe because of the reaction, he said it's actually a direct sequel. So I don't know if that means that Travolta and Cage is going to be in it. I mean, based on their career these days, I'm sure they'd say, hell yes, as soon as someone asks. Um, I, seems I like have to say, imagine. I feel like they say that to everything that they get asked. Sorry, guys, but it seems like it. Um, but yeah, so I guess I have mixed, like mixed feelings about it now because I don't know. There's just so many like remakes and uh, there's such a lack of originality um, in Hollywood that you know, something like to kind of segue back to Sundance, um, you know, being able to appreciate more independent films and, and ones that especially have some very original and interesting narratives is, is even, you know, makes it even more important. Because seriously, I mean, we have so many of these going on just consistently, like remakes and reboots and, and the like, more Star Wars, more Marvel. Well, two two others that I, I haven't seen, but I, I feel like I need to mention as kind of like big acquisitions and movies that I heard a lot of. And, um, you know, one of them on the count of three, which Rizondo, I thought, wrote like a, a very kind of powerful, very emotional review of that. That movie really spoke to him. And that's mm-hmm. Gerard Carmichael, who I, I love. One of my favorite comedians directed that and. Annapurna is going to be distributing that. And then there is Passing, which is Rebecca Hall's directorial debut, which I believe Netflix picked up. So I would assume that we're probably going to get a chance to see that movie, which stars Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson sometime yeah. this year. Um, That's what I was really mo- bummed to miss. That's actually another one that expired like right when I was about to watch it, because I, I love Rebecca Hall. So I was really, really excited about that, her, her directorial debut. and But come on, Netflix, don't. Don't make us wait too long. Yes, please. (laughs) Um, Two that I got a chance to see. um, One of them is a a very unusual documentary called um, A A Glitch in the Matrix that I I believe, did you say you got a chance to check this out as well? Oh, yes, I did. (laughs) Yes. So for those who don't know, this is a new documentary from a guy named Rodney Asher and most people if, if you recognize his name he did a movie called room 237 uh, a few years ago that was all about kind of the conspiracy theories around the meaning of the shining and all the and how like the shining is this text that's really communicating all of these uh elaborate theories and symbols to you and it basically asher letting as i understand that i mean that is a movie that i was not particularly fond of and i think asher is as a documentarian kind of a bit of a divisive figure because it's the sort of thing he does that i think works pretty well in this movie is sort of finding these individuals who have kind of these um oversized kind of conspiracy theory for the lack of a better word, but just sort of like elaborate theories about the world or um, in the case of room 237, like a very famous movie and just sort of letting them run free with these theories and kind of explain them to you as an audience. And I noticed some people that's a little 
frustrating because he doesn't bother to kind of push back or question those theories really but i thought it was very effective here and i i don't know that this is quote a great movie but i watched it this morning and thought it was very very interesting and it is essentially about the idea of like we live in a simulated reality Mm -hmm. um basically like basically that we live in the matrix and he interviews i think it's like 10 different people and they sort of uh elaborate on their theory as to why they believe that we are living in this computer program essentially and i i don't know i like i I do not find any of these arguments convincing at all but as as a sort of like anthropological or sociological study um i found it very very interesting and the ways that if only to kind of like get a window inside someone else's mind and see the way these people kind of process the world and the the way they kind of let these sort of larger sci-fi concepts and the way they interact with video games sort of influence the way that they see the world and how that affects the way they go on with their lives sometimes in sort of enlightening ways and sometimes as the case of one individual very very destructive and violent ways um i I don't know what what did you think about it so yeah i mean it's a movie that i liked but i don't love and i think that it's i've actually always been very interested in simulation theory uh something i've had a lot of conversations about and i've watched lectures and stuff it's just something that's it's just curious, you know, I mean, I don't think we're in a simulation, but these days could be. Um, but this movie, and it's kind of like his other, um, I think he gives too much time to like, in this one, to that one individual that right. uh, that is destructive. I feel like too much time was spent on that. I also thought the Philip K. Dick uh, interesting um, connections there. They're, they kept showing like him talking about how his, his books, like how he believes that we're he has like memories of a, um, being somewhere else or I, I can't remember the exact words he says, but basically it's a lot of connections to his work that he thinks are real. But anyway, um, I, I wish there was more about the theory itself and they do talk to an extent. And I don't mean just from random people that he kind of just, you know, plucks out of the world with weird avatars, which is by the way, super fun in this. Um, I love the visual uh, aspect of it, but yes. more people that actually like study, study this. Um, I just think, from that point of view would be more interesting rather than give more time to the, as you said, you know, kind of conspiracy theorists out there in a sense. So that's my take on it. I think the Philip K. Dick stuff, while interesting and certainly, you know, if you're familiar with something like Blade Runner or Total Recall, you're like, Oh, of of course he believes this stuff. Like that's, that's like the genesis of that, of both of those stories is like, your memories are implanted and are like not real. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, as interesting as them kind of weaving his texts into that, I, it, it, it got to a certain point with the Philip K. Dick stuff where I was like, I, I like, I get it. Yeah. It was I, too I, much. I, I, like, I don't need more Philip K. Dick explaining um, how this all connects to his work. And that's as someone who, like several Philip K. Dick short stories. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I would say it is, it is not, um, like you, I don't think I'm, I'm over the moon for it, but I think there's enough kind of interesting pieces for it. And I think it's, it's certainly the kind of like, I think there are there is sort of an interesting way you can kind of dive into it, but I think even if you're just sort of like I just want to sit down on a Saturday night and kind of crack a beer open and just sort of like enjoy the wildness of some of the theories that that people have concocted and some of the the wild digressions this documentary goes down, I think you can enjoy it for sort of those superficial reasons as well. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, for for the most part, I think anybody can enjoy it. You don't have to be um, a nerd. And I am a nerd. So that's not like a negative thing. I'm just saying like, <laughs> you don't have to be super into this theory to enjoy this film. It's it's interesting enough, even though I do feel he takes too long with certain things. So that's, that's like right. my biggest problem. But So one more that I wanted to mention that I you said you didn't get a chance to see, although it is now readily available for anyone who has an HBO Max subscription to watch is Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a new film from Shaka King about uh, Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party in the late 60s and a undercover operation the FBI ran inside of that movement that eventually morphed into an assassination plot on Hampton and Hampton in the movie is played by Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out in a just like thunderous, incredibly charismatic performance. Um, I last week, um, Hunter Heilman hadn't seen it, but both him and I were talking. People are already sort of like putting the asterisks by his name of that. This is although I think he's kind of a co lead in the movie. This uh, he they're running him in the supporting categories, and this is. This is a like Titanic sort of blow down the doors performance. And even people I've talked to who have been less wild about the movie have just sort of said like, but he, he is undeniably incredible. Um, and, you know, uh, Fred Hampton is sort of the, the black Messiah character in the story. And I think one of the interesting aspects of this movie is you know, it, it kind of fits in with another documentary that came out a couple months ago called MLK FBI about how the FBI was sort of tapping the phones and spying on Martin Luther King. And that documentary sort of explains the way that there were these kind of racist motivations by J. Edgar Hoover and, and individuals in the FBI and how that organization really like actively and in some cases like violently um tried to uh kind of crush different civil rights movements and civil rights figures and viewed them as this threat to the sort of white establishment and that's kind of the the idea that this movie is tackling and the really i think complex figure at its center is this guy named William O'Neill played by Lakeith Stanfield, who was a kind of petty criminal that the FBI sort of took under their wing and kind of dangled jail time in front of, as well as sort of incentivized him to spy on Hampton and his chapter of the Black Panther Party. And eventually O'Neill was sort of providing information that would lead to this pretty horrific 
police raid that would assassinate Hampton. And I don't, I don't know. Did, did you get a chance to see, um, did you ever see trial of the Chicago seven that came out, uh, this past fall? Yes, I did. So yeah. I, 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 and I'm not the first critic to sort of bring this up. I think this is an interesting sort of, cor- maybe not corrective, but other side of the coin to that movie. And in particular, like there is, curious parts in both of these movies where i think they kind of like brush shoulders with each other and but i think while sort of sorkin's fault in trial of chicago 7 is it is this very like hollywoodized version of history that you know needs to leave you with this kind of like it, it's very clear like the these are the good people these are the bad people mm-hmm. and it leaves you with like a, a rousing speech at the end and for you to to walk out of the audience and just just feel good about yourself. Yeah. And this I think does something a little bit more daring which is sort of take this very complicated historical event and just sort of plop it in your lap and um I think leave you as an audience to kind of sit through your your feelings on and I think forces you as an audience to kind of rethink how the sort of perception of the black panthers by kind of the media and white america at the time is probably is actually as it turns out very different from what they were actually doing in those communities and as well as contemplate sort of what is the the right or wrong way or like what is the most effective way to bring about social change and you know, as far as the William O'Neill character, this is like I I applaud Lakeith Stanfield so much because this is one of the more complicated movie protagonists I've seen in a long time, and I imagine a lot of the conversation about this movie is going to be what people think of this character and the way that he is both sort of the the movie neither I think lets him off the hook for these sort of horrible things that he did and that he was a part of while also exploring kind of the somewhat of the psychology of why he did those things. And it, and in a way that sort of like people are complicated and things don't necessarily match up. And this is a person that was probably doing this somewhat of for their own self-interest as well as, someone who was found themselves as part in sort of this this horrible system and sort of got in over his head and was was you know ushered in as this sort of pawn by the FBI to sort of commit these atrocities and how he has to has to reckon with that going forward and um I won't totally spoil but the movie does sort of reveal what happened to O'Neill um decades later as as he sort of is having to process this thing that he was a part of um I I just found it like a really electric movie to watch and I I I know I keep tying these like it has these big weighty sort of socio-political ideas in it but like it's a crime movie and it's like an undercover movie and it is just as much a thrill ride as something like the departed or i think um people have been comparing it to something like 
the conformist and it, it 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 does have this sort of energy of i think if you know what is to happen to Han- hampton there is this kind of like feeling of inevitable dread and like these people are just sort of being kind of like moved by fate into colliding at this really horrible event but um i i i could not recommend it highly enough i'm sure as award season goes on it'll be something i'll talk with guests more about on this show <laughs> but I, I i i i just thought it was um a really really impressive piece of work maybe not like perfect i think the one you know criticism i could give towards it is i think it it falls just short because i think they never quite the story never quite forges a totally compelling connection between o'neill and hampton to sort of make that betrayal all the more tragic and kind of shakespearean but i i think there is um something really powerful in both of these performances and like i said the the sort of thunderous way that kind of Kaluuya inhabits Hampton and as well as just the, the emotional and psychological journey. I think you go with like what your perception of the, the O'Neill character that Lakeith Stanfield plays um, and, and whether or not this is something that is totally his fault or he is sort of part of this sort of larger issue and larger system um i don't know it, it, it i'm rambling a little bit but it is really a movie that i think is an electrifying viewing experience but also i think can lead to some very um very deep conversations i, I can't believe i just said that i hate saying things are quote deep but you know some <laughs> some very i think like fruitful conversations afterwards and and i think um, is something that people are definitely going to be talking about for the next coming weeks. So fair to say you liked it, you know, yes. you had a couple of <laughs> thoughts on it. Uh, I actually yes. plan to watch it tonight. So thank you for not um, spoiling it. And, you know, speaking of glitch in the matrix, I got a, a text message from a friend while you were talking about how they were watching that movie. And it's really good. Oh, so. well, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. The proof <laughs> we are yeah. in the matrix. Well, yes, we uh, before we wrap up, do you have any kind of last Sundance thoughts or um, thoughts on kind of the the festival experience going forward? Yeah, I mean, I really hope, and I know other ones like South by Southwest is coming up, and I'm assuming probably Tribeca will also be virtual, and you know, other festivals are just going to probably continue to go down this um, road for as long as we have to. Unfortunately, I hope it's not too long, but you know, I, I still really enjoyed it. It was, um, it was very different, but it was also still incredibly exciting and fun. And, you know, I love watching movies and talking about movies. So, I mean, can't really complain. And I think that they, you know, adapted and, and did a great job with presenting this online at a time where I think we need stuff like this. And, um, yeah, I mean, final thoughts is just, I overall, it was it was a great experience and support indie film just to throw throw that out (laughs) well that's that's a great place for us to leave it here for this week uh christy thank you so much again for stopping by to talk all things sundance of course